hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Today's Queer Money guest has sold nearly $1 billion in real estate in the competitive market of New York City, specializing in uptown and downtown Manhattan and Brooklyn. And today we're talking about how Martin Iden, who averaged one sale every 10 days in 2018, stays grounded and recharges his mind, body, and soul. Martin shares the morning routine that's helped him become a real estate leader in New York City, his meditation practice, and the community with which he actively surrounds himself so he can stay at peak performance. The more we work with successful people, the more we see two common trends. One, waking up early. Two, meditation. As a former boss once told me, find out what successful people do and do that. So those of you who are reaching for your definition of success won't want to miss today's Queer Money. To implement in your own life what you hear on this episode, go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash 173 to download the Living Fabulously Daily Journal. It's a great guide to implement all of the success practices we discuss today and more. P.S. Thank you for listening to Queer Money. We are honored that you spend some of your time with us each week. Now, on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Well, welcome, Martin, to the show. We appreciate having you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So, you know, we like to tell stories of success on Queer Money so we can give our audience some nuggets of wisdom of what can they do, what can they apply to their life that they, that maybe you have learned or that you've applied to your life and maybe has contributed to your success. So I'm curious, you know, you're a very successful real estate agent. You're in New York City, a pretty competitive <laughs> city, expensive city. But you've you built yourself a, a nice business, uh, have a nice practice, uh, and this is actually your, your second career. So we're going to kind of dive into all of that. But I'm curious, okay. you know, what has been the driving force behind your ambition, behind your success? That's, uh, that's a really good question. So I, uh, as you mentioned, kind of a second career, I started out as an architectural engineer. And um, just as a side note, I'm from the Midwest. So that's kind of the holy grail of, of success, I guess, is, uh, is being an engineer. <laughs> and, uh, and the joke is, uh, Telling my parents that I uh, was leaving engineering was was more dramatic than saying that I was gay. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, I didn't like the job, and my husband or boyfriend at the time, now husband Sean, said, "You know what? If you don't like it, get out. And if you do what you love, the money will follow." And I just think that's such a great a great idea. Is uh, and I think a lot of times people perhaps get lost on, well, you know, what's, what's a job that I can, that I can live off of, or what's a job. And, and if you really do what you like, in this case, the, you know, fortunately the money did follow. Mm -hmm. So you had to have good grades in order to get to college. It's not easy to get into engineering school. You went through that four plus years to get that degree. You had some engineering experience you worked on some projects. 
how did you go? What made you decide to go from that kind of a career that's probably more analytical to mm-hmm. a very service oriented career where you're 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 helping people, you're providing a service and a value to individuals? Well, so I think it happens for a lot of people, regardless if if it's uh you know you have a college degree or not what what you think a perhaps a job would be versus the reality are often two different things i'm mm-hmm. sure you guys would have uh examples to share as well and um engineering for me was being in front of a computer 10 to 12 hours a day and i was at the time designing electrical systems for um high rise buildings in Asia and, and airports all over the world. I, I wasn't going to those locations. I was behind a desk mm-hmm. <laughs> in front of a computer screen. And I said, you know, wait a second. I, As I mentioned, I'm a Midwest boy from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I moved all the way to New York and I'm in front of a computer screen 10 to 12 hours a day. To me, that wasn't quote unquote living it in New York. Right. And, and I just, it kind of like ate away at my soul without being super dramatic, right? I couldn't wait to get out. And again, I was fortunate to have Sean give me the permission to quit. And I, I didn't quite, I didn't go right into real estate. I had, uh, I would say a solid two years of, I guess, I would say floundering, I don't know floundering, but you know, going back and forth. So I was in the film industry for a while. I was doing film accounting, which is nothing like regular accounting. You monitor how money that's being spent at lightning quick speed. <laughs> and then when that ended, I, I did some temp work because I had the rent to pay. And uh, and then I saw an ad for, for real estate. And I said, well, you know, I have a degree in architectural engineering. I've always liked real estate. It sounds like fun. I'm a, I'm a people person. That was probably the biggest thing of engineering I didn't like, that I was in front of a computer instead of people. But I still like buildings, it seems to be, uh, you know, a marriage of the two of talking to people and having knowledge about buildings. Yeah. Can I ask, do you think that mm-hmm. the success that you had, or at least the um, the work that you had put in to becoming the architectural engineer, and I guess I'm assuming at that point, you probably had at least some level of financial wherewithal to be able to step back and say, I am not completely reliant on this job. I can take the risk of moving on to something else. Was that true? Did did you kind of have? No, I was. Uh, I was. Um, you know, young, dumb, and full of fun. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it was impulsive that that I quit the job. I didn't have, I think I was 20, uh, 26 or 27 at the time. So I, I know I didn't like, I didn't like it. And, and that was part of, uh, taking a step back being in the film industry. I thought, Oh, well, maybe I'll become a film producer. That sounds exciting. And I think, you know, looking back at that, that perhaps is a little bit of the story is that if you don't like what you're doing now or what you're doing initially isn't isn't quote unquote your calling a get out i think a lot of people don't do that right. and end up being miserable and then b you don't have to necessarily instantly know where you want to go next right give yourself the permission the space to do that and you know have uh, family and friends roll their eyes if you say you're taking some time to find yourself 
<laughs> and then uh, have your family and friends have their eyes pop out when you find what you want to do and, and the money follows. Right. The reason I ask that is one of my favorite quotes is from Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn says, if you don't like where you're at, move. You're not a tree. <laughs> I think that so many people... And I think a lot of individuals in our community, we get into a place and that place is either comfortable or not as painful as the thought of uprooting ourselves and moving to something else, whether that be physically or career-wise or relationship-wise, whatever the case may be, we oftentimes get so uh, frozen with this, I have to be here. I have to stay mm -hmm. here. There's no way I can leave this. But then we leave behind this potential for success because we are just sitting there in a moderately uncomfortable, at least uncomfortable enough for us to complain about it, but not uncomfortable enough for us to do something about a place. Yeah. I agree. One of the charities uh, that I belong to was called One Life Fully Lived, and and their quick tagline is is Dream It, Plan It, Live It. And one of the things they say is that uh, it costs the same to dream as it does to plan. Right. So you know, take the action of planning and and do it if you can. Yeah. So when you finally decided to get into real estate, what mm -hmm. were some of the first steps that you took? So at the time, I was. I was 27, and here in the city to get involved in real estate, the quick money, again, I, I did not have a reserve fund of money, uh, is to do rentals. And you can make a fair amount of money on rentals here in New York City. Usually, you collect one month's rent. That's that's the commission, of course, there's to split on it, but renters... Uh, I often joke that uh, renters are are dating and home buyers are marrying. Mm. So, you know, people look to find something quickly and I started in May and I had a, a group of friends of friends that were just graduating graduate school and college and they needed a place to live for the summer and I helped them find spaces. And kind of the, one of the interesting things there and, and, and the first company, which is no longer in existence, was called Manhattan Apartments. And it was, it was three, it was almost right out of Glen Gary, uh, Glen Ross. It was three floors of desks and on each desk was a computer and a phone. And there was a central phone that rang to all the desks. So whenever there was inquiries coming in, <laughs> you had you had all you know three floors of desks ringing. <laughs> and so when I when I first got there, and I would get in, of course, I'm in real estate, right? So what business starts at noon, maybe maybe one o'clock. I mean, this is this is the mindset. So I would show up there at eleven or twelve after going to the gym, and of course, not getting up that early. And everybody was packed at the desk and the and the competition was, you know, hard and it was it was basically who could pick up the phone the fastest. <laughs> and so I asked one day, I asked uh, and it was an older building, so there was an elevator attendant. He didn't push the buttons, he would take the elevator up and down. And I said, Well, what time is the office open? He goes, Eight o'clock. <laughs> so one morning I thought, you know what, let me let me go to the office at eight o'clock. Let me be the first one in the office. And guess what? I was the only one in the office between uh, eight and nine o'clock in the morning. And how many desperate people do you think would call looking for an apartment between eight and nine in the morning? 
in New York City, I'm guessing quite a bit. <laughs> it was pretty fierce. So man. yeah, so that was, uh, and again, I I wasn't super genius figuring that out, but it was it was kind of like a good thought process that if I have you know, if the competition is fierce or, or if, if there's a, you know, quote unquote, a front door, is there a side entrance that can give me the same level of success? And, and that's interestingly enough that, that outside the box thinking is almost the exact opposite of engineering, which is, you know, only do what's tried and proven. Right. Yeah. So it sounds so, a lot like, um, Tim Ferriss's strategy of what can I do that's slightly different than what everybody else is doing and stand out to maybe mm-hmm. get that extra 10% or 20% improvement. Yeah, definitely. It, it just highlights this idea that we can easily find ourselves falling in line and just doing what we're told. Get the nine to five, get the job, do what you're told, and you'll survive. But if right. we want to thrive, we have to figure out how to bend the rules slightly make a change that no, you know, zig when everyone else is, is zagging, all of those kinds of, you know, those kinds of things. And we see this so often, especially in some of the Facebook groups that we're in, that it's a tendency to want and complain. I want this, mm-hmm. but it's not happening to me. I want that because it's not happening because of this. But sometimes just a small little change, waking up an extra hour early <laughs> can produce <Right>. massive results. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I'm a big fan of of having a morning ritual. I'm a I'm a, I'm a big believer of uh, miracle mornings with uh, Hal and Rod, and there's there's all different ways, but basically, you know, get yourself centered in the morning, and that that I guess was was the beginning of my morning ritual, and I do this to this day is I get up, you know, about 45 minutes before Sean and our son, and take the time. To journal a little bit, have coffee. I'm a big coffee guy. It's one of my last vices. I think every real estate agent is a big coffee guy, right? It's kind of necessary. Right. I don't know if I've ever seen a real estate agent without, unless they have a glass of wine after they sold some houses. <laughs> right. Always showing up with uh, iced coffee have, or something, right? We need to have more real estate friends. We do need, yeah, let's sell houses so we can have wine. <laughs> so sorry. sorry, you have your coffee That's and then right. you no journal, problem. you have your coffee. You have my journal, my my coffee, and I take ten minutes to to meditate, which is just really trying to get no thoughts in my mind, or if they come in, let them float out. And during that quiet time in the morning, I've gotten clarity on a lot of problems that have come up over time. That are like, oh wow, I didn't think about that, or or here's a new idea. And it's funny. I, I mean, I take the subway. I live in Brooklyn, and I work here in Manhattan. And in the morning, in the subway you see people and everybody has has off days or whatever but you know their hair is still wet they didn't have time to dry it before they left you know i don't think that would be such a great way to start the morning you know yeah. like if you're if you're not centered before the day starts you're already kind of on the back foot if you will yeah absolutely so i want to dive a little bit more deeply into sure. into your into your practice so mm-hmm. you you wake up what do you do i wake up I do my uh, my morning routine that I talked about. I do try to exercise in the morning. So I uh, have a personal trainer on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday and Thursday is yoga. So that's from 8 to 9 for argument's sake. I take a shower and I'm in the office by 10 o'clock. And I mean, this is now, you know, years of, of going into it. 
And then basically for my, uh, for my morning office, it's almost starting over again, similar to my morning ritual. I, I have a couple of business coaches and I, again, have a journal. This is, this is another thing that I've kind of learned is, is it's good to write things down by hand as opposed to just using digital everything. There's, Mm -hmm. for some reason it sticks a little bit longer. So I, um, have my morning and I write down the things that I want to do for them. I mean, I have a calendar in front of me, of course, but you know, I have, I write down the top two or three things of the day. Um, I have a friend that, that his mantra is success of success is write down the top seven things you want to do each day. And if you do three of them, you're a winner. Mm -hmm. Nice. So when you, you get out of bed in the morning, do you sit on the floor in the lotus position? Do you sit in a couch? Do you stay in bed and meditate? Like, what does that look like? I get up. I pour myself a cup of coffee. Uh, I usually go to the bathroom, weigh myself in the morning, part of my <laughs> weight training or weight thing. And we have a, we have a really nice dog. So he's a, he's a mix between a mini poodle and a Wheaton Terrier. And so in the morning, he jumps up. I sit on the couch crisscross legs and uh and he comes up and i rub his belly a little bit and then that's where i journal the top three things very simple journal three things i'm grateful for for the day before and then i set my timer on my watch for 10 minutes and use that time to uh again to try to not have any thoughts Mm -hmm. Um, there's different ways there's a lot of great apps if you you know want to meditate but it's just, it's the absence of, of thoughts and plans. Sometimes that time goes really fast and sometimes it goes painfully slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can relate to that. And do you listen to any music while you meditate or is it pure silence? I do pure silence. I started with music and, and I'm, not, I'm not against music by any means. I'm a, I'm a big music fan. But for me, the silence just allows the quietness allows things to surface that might otherwise not come. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I love this, that you have a practice. Um, I love that you mentioned Hal Elrod and his Miracle Morning. For those of mm-hmm. you who are not familiar with Hal and his Miracle Morning book and his suggestion, what he did is he went out and he looked at what the what successful people were doing. He was looking at multimillionaires, billionaires, and looking at the things that they did every single day. And he boiled it down to these, I'm pretty sure it's seven practices. Yes. And he said, well, if all these people weren't doing every single one, but he said, if this is working for them, I'm going to do all seven of them. And so he started doing all seven of them and his life transformed. And I appreciate and love the, love the fact that you're, Martin, that you're doing this. It's obviously contributes to your success. One of the interesting things I, I love that you talked about was these individuals who are rushing around in the morning. Their hair is still wet. Mm-hmm. They're running to work. They're always upset because the person in front of them isn't going fast enough because they left three minutes late for work. You know, we have heard over and over and over again that when we wake up first thing in the morning, that's when our brains are the freshest, the most elast. They have the most elasticity, the the ability for us to to think through something. And more often than not, many of us waste that first half hour hour of the day in this mad dash to get to work. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then that our, our brains have started to solidify and not be so elastic or we're, we've used up a fair number of the decision-making processes that we are allowed to make during the day. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And part of that, and I don't offhand know what all the sevens are or all the seven uh, steps, but exercise is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's so many good ways about why exercise is good for you. But to do it in the morning, for me, really allows me, and they're workouts, but they're not like I can't function after doing the workout workouts, right? Because right? Right? I don't know how, how productive that would be either. And in, in, uh, in my trainer, you know, we talk about that as well. And that also, you know, after the workout, it, it adds a level of calmness for the day. And, and believe me, you know, nobody's day is calm and, and neither is mine. It's kind of like a yin and yang. In the morning, you have the, the meditation, the quietness, the workout gets rid of all the anxieties that you have can think about for the day. And it just gives you a little bit of an extra clarity that I found throughout the day by doing that as well. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. How do you think meditation and your whole morning practice exercising, how do you think all of that has attributed to your success? Well, the short answer is exponentially. But what most people, in my, this is my opinion, right? What most people do is they don't take the time to think about the day, think about the week, think about the year or goal planning. They just kind of live everything in the moment. So by taking these forced times to do things, you're giving yourself the space to let new thoughts and ideas come in. And a lot of times those new thoughts and ideas are problem solving. You know, I, th- I think it's a, it's a well, what you're doing is you're, you're investing in yourself to be more efficient at what you like to do, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. And I'm going to forget who said it. I think it might be Zig Ziglar, but I, I'm not 100% certain. Those who mm-hmm. fail to plan are planning to fail. Absolutely. And so you're starting your day off, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you are planning out how your day is going to transpire. I want to do Mm -hmm. this. I want to solve these problems. I want to these to be the results. And so you head off, whether it's getting on the train or hopping in the car or whatever the case may be, and your brain is already going to work subconsciously to figure out how to produce those results throughout the day. Absolutely. You know, David and I do morning practice. We have our own morning ritual as well. And that's why I'm fascinated by what you're doing. I think so many people, especially now with their phones, and I, th- I think phones are amazing. A lot of our businesses mm-hmm. rely on phones. <laughs> so I'm not disparaging them. I'm using it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us, so many people, and David and I occasionally catch ourselves doing this, where we'll, we'll wake up in the morning and the first thing we'll do is we'll look at our phones. And then all of a sudden, Apple News is telling me what needs to get me riled up today. I go to Facebook <laughs> and Facebook News is telling me what should piss me off for the morning. And then I, I don't 
take the time to prepare like I need to for the mornings to make my first appointment on time. So whether that's getting, I have to clock, punch the clock or I have to be at a particular meeting or in a location. And then all of a sudden I'm rushing through my morning. Also, I can hurry up and get to a certain place on time. And we don't ask ourselves everything that I've done for the previous hour, half hour, two hours in a very aggressive way to get to this point. How is that positively or adversely affecting the interaction I'm going to have right now? And how does that play out throughout the rest of the day? And I think what you're telling us and the experience that David and I have is that when we can at least relegate a certain portion of our time of the day for us to have some some quiet and not being infused with technology or not being told what I should be thinking or be, being concerned about that day, then you can make more conscious decisions. You can make better decisions. Um, You can maybe even highlight problems that you didn't know that you had that you need to overcome. And that for many people in the queer community, I think, if you don't like where you are, stop complaining, stop going on Facebook complaining about it. Give yourself some personal reflection and think about what can you do to change where you are today, whether it's just changing your attitude or changing your career. Mm -hmm. I agree. And some other things that I've learned through other people over the years as well, that I think is, is relevant and very helpful is I know nothing of the news until after my work day. Now, you know, news, it's important to be on, you know, know what's happening in your world. But, you know, first of all, good news doesn't sell. Bad news does. Right. Right. <laughs> right? So, you know, why do that? And, and so on my subway ride home, I'll, I'll go and, uh, you know, and I subscribe to the Times and the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal and then, of course, I'll, I'll say, oh, okay, what, what's, what's the craziness that went on today? And it's more of almost a recreation as opposed to something to get me riled up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing, because I can get, you know, I'm sure we all can get easily riled up with everything. Yeah. And then the second thing is I only check my email maybe four to six times a day. And that took a lot of practice. But by doing that, what has happened, I think, for a lot of people, and this is what my one of my coaches told me, is that if you check your email constantly, that suddenly becomes your to-do list. Yes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you make your own to-do list, and and checking email is is something that you do. And um, in real estate, where everybody expects instant responses, I have never lost a deal because I did not respond within. 10 seconds of, a, of an email. <laughs> what? Right. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I, I love you say that because it's kind of funny. We have this, um, this mentality in our culture that if you go on a date, maybe a first or second or third date, and you send a text and the person responds immediately, we oftentimes think that they're what? They're a little desperate, yeah. right? That they right. there's no reason for them to be sitting there waiting. We actually have heard people coach this, right? That if you're mm-hmm. going to send the first text after a date, don't do it within the first hour because you're going to look or sound desperate. And maybe that's a philosophy that needs to bleed over into into business too. Well, and I'm into confused business. because you haven't been available in the dating scene since texting was invented. <laughs> oh. Did so you just I'm call curious, me old? <laughs> I'm curious how you came up with this analogy. We can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into our personal life now. <laughs> right. No, that's funny. But, okay, well, it's, so, it's always, um, 
go ahead. No, I was just going to say, all, all of these things are, are very interesting, but I would venture to say that someone would say to you, well, journaling or meditating or getting up in the morning and uh, exercising, that didn't help you sell a billion dollars in properties in New York City. What I would, would say yes, it did. Why? Well, yeah, I was gonna. I wanted I to say, say uh, what's your response? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, what would you, you say, know, look, and, and, and how would you respond and to that? Just one side note, right? We're we're talking about ideal days here, so I don't want to give the impression this is how I live every day. There's right. there's crazy days where, you know, oh my gosh, let me get out of the house. I'm 20 minutes late. So I'm I'm able to do this probably about 70 75 percent of the time. So I'm you know you do what you can. I have a David Osborne, who's a friend of mine and also helped uh, co-wrote Miracle Morning for Millionaires with Hal, has a concept that I like that he talks about your ground game and your air game. And the ground game, and this can be in any business, right? What you do, ground game is day to day, right? So for me, that's talking to clients, helping them find property, helping them sell property, negotiating deals, um, et cetera. The air game is is taking time out of your day-to-day activities and say, you know, where do I want to be six months from now or a year from now or two years or five years? So taking these small moments of time of having a good morning practice, and I don't use that time for my air game. That's I'll do that three or four times a year. We have house upstate. I go up by myself without my family, and that's that's when I think about things. But that's kind of like your your mini time. It's your time, and it allows you to get centered. I mean, you have to, you know, you guys have a morning routine. When you do it, it helps you learn to stop being so reactive to everything. And again, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect, but it saved me so many times from just being explosive on the phone or being angry at something that frankly, was a miscommunication. And I misread, surprised, misreading an an email because there's no emotion. You know, over the course of time, that has been very, very helpful for me. Thank you. I I appreciate that. You know, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier, this fact that you don't check the news, the bad news sells, the bad news riles us up. If we're constantly checking the bad news throughout the day, then we're going to always be riled up, right? And Mm -hmm. then when somebody says something to us, whether they mean it or not, we may take it in an inappropriate way or take it exactly the way they meant it, but blow it way out of proportion and all of a sudden... We're giving our absolutely giving our pink slip. <laughs> yeah, that is for sure. And uh, you know, look, by, by no means am I saying you know if things bother you and things do bother me, don't sit on the sidelines and, and let it go by. Right. Uh, there's a time and a place to be an activist, and I support that, and I am that. But doing that in the morning would not help me advance what I'm doing in my career. And you know, if you're not doing good in your career, then you make less money, and then you have less money to give to charities and how helpful is that right exactly you've said a couple times you mentioned that you have a coach or you have coaches i think this Mm -hmm. is a great topic to bring up even though we didn't uh, send this to you in advance we um david and i have had various coaches throughout our careers as debt-free guys and career money podcast hosts and i don't think it's a concept that many people in the queer community have yet gravitated to can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get a coach and how they, in general, help you out and what you look for from a coach? Absolutely. So 
what inspired me in in getting a coach, and also this was this was a journey. I, I think you guys may remember ten or fifteen years ago, life coaching was all the big <laughs> all the big rage, and mm-hmm. I had a couple of life coaches. You know, in my opinion, were they weren't disadvantaging or disadvantageous, but they weren't like wow, knock my socks off type thing. But I have seen really successful brokers that I respected and and wanted to emulate. And a lot of them had coaches. And basically, what a coach is, and I'm sure you guys know this, is is you're paying someone to hold you accountable for your goals. And with a coach, with the right coach, you set your own goals. And the coach will ask you questions that are poignant on, you know, well, if this is really your goal, what are your plans to get there? And they'll, and then you'll have your plans, and then they will give you insight on how to achieve those goals. And if, and if you don't take the steps towards those goals, then they'll again hold you. Well, why, why didn't you? Is this, is this really a goal that you want or not? And if it's not, that's okay. But if it is, you know, why are you paying me five hundred and fifty dollars an hour then? Right. right? right. So. That's been really helpful, and and the coach that I that I use for my overall strategy is Dr. Fred Gross. He's amazing. He's based out of New Zealand, and the first thing that he made me do was uh, hire somebody, hire a virtual assistant, and hire them and promise them twenty hours of work a week. And I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm going to give them. <laughs> right? This was what five years ago. And he's like, well, hire them first, then we'll talk. And then, uh, no, it was hire them. And, he, and I, had to, I had to log everything that I did in 15-minute increments. And I, I sent him the sheet and he said, okay, anything that you, somebody can do for under $300 an hour, he told me my time was worth $300 an hour at the time, anything under $300 an hour, give to your newly hired assistant. So... I found 20 hours worth of work and I'm like, well, now what do I do? This is great. I have, I have, you know, but how am I going to pay this assistant? He goes, well, now you can do dollar productive activity, which means going out, meeting people, talking to clients, visiting properties, getting listings. And this is, um, I think for any entrepreneur or specifically any entrepreneur, but anyone in general, they are able to pinpoint what facets are quote unquote your money making or dollar productive activities right. and things that are not give them to someone else. Yeah. Right. So you pretty much helped you figure out how to stop working in your business as opposed to working on your business. And the stuff that's in your business is now being contracted out to someone else because that's lower dollar activity and you can work on the higher dollar activity, which frees you up to do more time for more higher dollar activity. Absolutely. How important do you think it is that you pay for that, that coaching? Well, you know, that's very funny. I have, you know, as a side note, that went from a part-time assistant to having a team of seven people now over the period of five years. And for a few team members and a few times I've offered free coaching because it's been such a great help for me. I wanted to pass that on to my team. And a friend of mine who's in the mortgage business, we were having dinner and I said, you know what, giving, giving my team free coaching, they don't appreciate it because they're not paying for it. And he's like, you're right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, honestly, I'm ending it. 
it's it's one of those things if it's it's only it only has value if you pay for it even though they know i'm paying that money when it's your own money it's kind of like the same thing with a personal trainer right if you if you don't show up to the gym you just lost what you were paying your trainer yeah. right so there's more of a reason to actually get out of bed and go to the gym <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely so I think it's really important to find a coach and there's, there's different coaches at different price points. Um, so I, you know, I would not, I would advise, you know, Oh, I'm going to max out my credit cards to get quote unquote, the best coach. I would get one that you, but it should, you know, it should be a thought when you, when you buy it and, and your better coaches will make you buy blocks of hours, not just one hour at a time. So mm-hmm. it, it adds up. Yep. It sure does. But like you said, it can it can then switch you into the revenue generator that you really should be, rather than the taskmaster. Task master, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Then um, that's that's what really helps. And 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 my coach helped me. You know that really the the three things, and also it helps you find you know kind of the the old mantra when I went to school was. Uh, you know, focus on the subjects you're bad at, really improve the things that you're not good at. And the new concept, which is, I mean, you know, been around for a while is if you're not good at it, hire somebody else to do it. Right. Focus on the things that you're good at. Yep. You're never going to be as good at, at the bad things than you are at the good things, right? Right. So Absolutely. I enjoy talking to people and meeting clients. And I'm really good at with the client interaction. I'm really good at pricing things and I'm very direct. I don't, you know, give a number to make somebody feel good and then say, Oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. It's really worth this. Uh, and then I'm really good at negotiating, which my definition is this is what the market is willing to do. Does it make sense for you or not? Cause it's, you know, at the end of the day, so I'm not going to live there and it's not my money, but everything else I give to other members who frankly are much better at, at things than uh than i'm at that's awesome yeah i I know that we could we could probably go on and and ask a few other questions about your (laughs) routine or about your success but maybe we could just take a step back and look at what this has produced in your life what is your life like because of all of these things we can talk about maybe some of the benefits that you have you have a family where you live or the things that you get to do or are able to do because of your success my biggest accomplishment with my success has been giving myself back the gift of time. Oh, nice. And this is the philosophy of, uh, of Dr. Fred Gross that, that I subscribe to is, is, is time is the most valuable commodity that's out there. And it's so valuable. Uh, the reason why it's so valuable, it's something you can never get back. Right. Until we have time travel and joke. Ha ha ha. Um, Right, but that's once someday. it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will. Right, I that I can believe. I yeah. believe that. So that's it. And I also, and this took me a while to wrap my head around. But you, each of us, has one hundred percent control over time. There's consequences on how you use your time. Right, if you go out till five a.m., there's the consequences of that. If you have a job that if you don't show up, you don't get a paycheck. There's consequences with that. But ultimately, all of those choices really can be yours. So with that concept, you know, there's a, I forget the author, but there's a book called 18 Summers and my son is 13. He's going into the eighth grade. I've got five summers left, right? Before he's off to college. How do I want to use that time? 
and I'm able to, you know, and now in real estate, the business that I'm in, you need to be, even though I, uh, you know, check my emails four to six times a day, I still need to be in contact with people, but I don't necessarily have to be in contact with them physically here in New York. I could be traveling or when I go on family trips, I just check my emails maybe once a day or, or if it's a big trip, I can check it every couple of days. That's really, I would say the biggest part of my success is, is the time that I have given back to myself that I can choose to use the way that I want to. And I really divided here. I would divide it equally three times or three ways, but one is with my family. I love Sean, uh, my son, um, our extended families. Number two, I make a point to do a lot of things with Sean and I, we maybe go on three, or four trips a year. They usually are, you know, three to five day long weekends, but it's time apart from everyone else. And then I also do about three or four trips on my own. I have a group of guys I belong to, Gold Abundance, which we can talk about another time or something. But then that's that's basically a group of guys that want to be the best they can be, yeah. you know, to yourself, to others, to community. So, and then with that time, you can always that you can read and and focus on self improvement, and so that's that's I think what's great, and I'm I'm very happy. You have time to exercise, time to eat right, all that stuff. Yeah. So really, what a what I'm hearing is really what it has come down to is your success has allowed you to be able to take the time to enjoy life the way you want to enjoy life, the way that you define having enjoyment taking time for success or taking time for the things that are most important for you in life. I think that's mm -hmm. when it really comes down to it, that's really what we all want, right? We want to have enough time, enough energy, and eventually, you know, enough money to be able to enjoy life, maybe not extravagantly, but to the way that we mm -hmm. feel is important and, and feeds us, it feeds our soul. So just going to ask right. you one last question here. What one thing would you share that you have done or that you would suggest others do that would help them to get on the path to achieving success in the same vein? Not necessarily, I'm not saying, you know, go out and be, become a real estate agent. What I'm saying is, what one piece of advice would you give to our listeners that could help get them on the path to success? I would say the easiest thing to do would be to start reading books reading books for audio. And it's interesting that, you know, I, you know, while I can read well and all that jazz, I never considered myself a reader, but a number of groups that I'm in, they're constantly, we talked about Miracle Morning here in the show um, and some other books. And there's so many books that are out there that can help you be the best person that you want to be. And I would suggest picking up anything really to start with. Right. So Napoleon Hill is a great one, uh, you know, with the habits of successful people and all that jazz. Right. So I think I just had the title and author mixed up. But anyway, yeah. nope, um, okay. there's <laughs> <laughs> that would be my advice to yeah. be to learn. Yeah, I think that's great. The um, I read a statistic and you know, I guess these things come out like every couple of months, but the average millionaire reads two books a month. I so, would agree with that. I, you know, and I, I had a great boss one time, and I think he stole this from Tony Robbins, so he, maybe he's not so great. But I had a boss one time who told me, <laughs> find out what successful people do and do that. Right. And that kind of resonated with me. So I've always thought, you know, if, if millionaires are reading 
two books a month. If I'm not reading two books a month, I'm certainly making it harder for myself to become a millionaire myself. It does become, I think, to, for some people, becomes the catch-22 of, well, is that because they have the time to read, or is it that they have the success because they've been reading? And John, John and I said, who cares? Just read. Right. <laughs> just, just start. Figure just it out. Start I mean, with it. You can find a multi yeah. number of ways to, to waste your time. Yeah. Start reserving some of that time for, for actually reading. Right. So that's great advice. Well, and I, th I think this may also go back to Napoleon Hill with his masterminds, but the idea mm -hmm. of you are who you surround yourself with. And sometimes we can't physically surround ourselves with successful people. It's just not possible. But by reading what successful people have written, we are hearing their voices in our head when we read. Absolutely. And just by picking up one or two nuggets, I mean, I'm reading uh, Atomic Habits right now by James Clear. You know, it's like, and the idea is tiny changes make remarkable results. And it's, it's constant polishing, right? Always trying to improve. Absolutely. Exactly. So David lied. We actually have one more question. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> he loves saying that. He loves calling me a liar. <laughs> so where can our listeners, whether they want to you know, follow you on social media just because they, they're, they're, they're attracted to your, your story or because they actually might want to do business with you in uh, the New York area, or I guess you could probably sell houses and real estate everywhere. If they want to do business with you, where can they find you and how can they follow you? Oh, that's really, uh, really nice of you to ask. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Martin Iden Team, and it's spelled E-I-D-E-N. If you guys wanted to email me, you guys can email me at uh, martin at compass.com. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a great interview. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you very much. I had a great time with you guys. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, Martin, for taking the time to share with our Queer Money listeners your behind-the-scenes practices that have helped make you a real estate leader in New York City. It's important that we as a community share everything that's working for us so we can continue to strengthen and lift each other up. Finally, and again, to implement in your own life what you heard on this episode, go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash 173 to download the Living Fabulously Daily Journal. It's a great guide to implement all of the practices we discussed today and more. Thanks again for listening and sharing the show with other LGBTQ people deserving of financial success in their lives. See you next week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.